us have our call to worship. Seasons come and seasons go, and the Lord watches over them all. As long as the earth endures, seed time harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, their parables, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, again, we thank you that we are able to gather together and to worship. We pray that one day soon the restraints will be off and we can uh, practice uh, being far more social than we have to be right now. We pray that you would continue to protect us and care for us and, and we, we pray that for all our people. Lord, and, and we, we come to you today uh, our minds are going a million miles an hour. We're thinking about what's going to happen today and tomorrow. We're thinking about the upcoming elections. We're thinking about how to live with COVID. We're thinking about all kinds of things. And we pray that you right now would meet us where we are. Calm our hearts because of the power of who you are power of your name and you draw us to yourself and minister to us right where we are Lord we do confess our sin we have been rebellious we have done things flat out against your will thinking that we just wanted to do our own thing and we have failed to do the things perhaps out of laziness perhaps out of ignorance but multiple reasons when there are things we should have done that we didn't do and both are sin and yet you tell us that if we confess our sin you're faithful and forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from unrighteousness and so we pray this morning by your spirit by your word that you would forgive us and that we would know that we have been forgiven in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Uh, hymn number 636. Come ye thankful people come.
Bible study. Hey, A.B., sorry to interrupt, but the Bible studies. I'm sorry? The Bible studies, we're not going to have those this week. Yeah, I think I said that. Oh, did you? Okay, I just want to make sure. Sorry. It's still not happening, though. (laughs) (laughs) All right, hear the word of the Lord. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still 
and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Oh no, I'm sorry, we're supposed to have a, a duet. Well, you get a substitute teacher and everything goes to five.
without an option which is a good thing because we would probably choose the wrong thing but now we are compelled to love you because of your great power and because you have loved us first with an overwhelming love Lord we gather here today and we uh, <clears throat> we have so much going on in our lives and in our church. And we, there are people battling illness, particularly, Lord, we think of Greg, and we pray that, that you would work in his body and that you would bring him back to health and that, uh, uh, but uh, you would just be with him even now as he uh, battles through this uh, virus with the flu. And... Um, Restore him to health, Lord. And for many others in our congregation who battle illness or one thing or the other, Lord, we pray that you would be with them and that you would comfort them, but that you would do a healing work through your spirit in their own bodies and minds so that they can be back with us very soon so they can get up and about and enjoy life. Lord, we pray for our nation. Lord, we pray for our president and for all those that you have placed in authority over us. And we pray that, that you would sustain them, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them a heart that seeks after you. Lord, that you would uh, be involved in this election that's coming up, that it would be uh, something that is free and fair and that would glorify you and uh, we, we pray to that end, Lord, and we ask that um, you would bring unity in our own country, that you would allow the Spirit to work in the hearts and lives of so many so that we humble ourselves and we turn our hearts back to you because we know that is the real strength of our nation, that man's wisdom can only go so far. So we commit that to you, and we pray that uh, uh, you would take our cares and our troubles, and you tell us that we are to cast all of our anxiety upon you because you care for us. And we thank you for that very thing, that we can come to you with the most intimate details of our lives and trust them with your wisdom. So, Lord, we pray that you would bless us. 
that you would speak to our hearts even now as we hear your word as it's read and preached. Do a work here in our hearts today that that uh, is only going to be done by you. We commit all this to your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Another passage in scripture. Uh, in fact, I used this uh, a few weeks ago when I was uh, blessed with preaching again in Psalm 33. Hear the word of the Lord. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever to the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, um, Greg did uh, send me a little text Friday morning saying, uh, are you in town? And so I was, so he asked me to come out of the bullpen, and uh, here I am. And uh, <clears throat> I can't do Greg's sermon. I don't know if he'd written it, but so uh, uh, I journey like a little more time. I, I, I can pull things out pretty fast, but uh, it's good to have a little bit of a running start. So you're going to get all kinds of plagiarized stuff tonight. Just want you to know, and, and uh, I'll confess it ahead of time. If you want to run whatever software you can, uh, I'm just admitting it up front. I, but I've shown um, that I have plagiarized from multiple sources, so that's called research. <laughs> <clears throat> I know, I know. This isn't my first rodeo. 
uh, now, uh, Greg gives these good, you know, titles to sermons. I'm bad at, at titling a sermon. And so this one I've called, Come on, Baby, Light My Fire. And now here's why. Cause, and you're going to be singing this song uh, sometime this week, I promise. Now, since I have all my ministry skills I've learned, I learned in youth ministry. And one of the things I learned when I was working with Young Life is you can sing hymns to different tunes. You know, one night we sang Amazing Grace to seven different tunes. You know, you sang it to, you know, Sunny Skies with James Taylor, House of the Rising Sun, Gilligan's Island theme song, uh, Leave it to Beaver theme song. My favorite was... Ghost Riders in the Sky. Because there's nothing like an amazing grace singing the yippee-o, yippee uh, for the chorus. Now, so this is where it fits for today's sermon. This psalm is the psalm that was the foundation for Martin Luther writing the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You can sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God to the tune of come on baby light my fire and it works and in fact if i was in the other service today we would do it but we're not so y'all are getting a break but now you'll you'll think about it in the shower this week or you know when you're alone driving in the car you'll be saying a mighty fortress is our God. You know, you'll be, and that's as good as I can sing, but you'll be singing it, so you're welcome. It's, it's part of our holistic approach to ministry here at Faith Presbyterian Church. Now, we're not going to sing that. Now, I have requested of Mary that we sing it in this service, but she has been refusing me for several years. But I, I mention it about uh, every other month, and... Uh, she still says no. All right, so look, this psalm in Psalm 46 that we're going to look at, essentially it's got three divisions. You know, verses 1, uh, 2, and 3 is the obviously the first. And it, um, it, it breaks down the way Martin Luther was really doing the hymn. And the first thing we get to look at is how God really is a mighty fortress. You know, he tells us, that, uh, you know, he's a stronghold that, you know, when he says, you know, God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. That means that's, you know, we run into, into God when there's trouble anywhere else. I, I've got a friend, Steve Brown, you may have read some of his books or he's got a radio show called Key Life Ministries and he's, he's, uh, <clears throat> Uh, very practical. He says, you know, I pray better when I'm scared. Don't you all do that? I sure do. I try to make deals with God. And he's not, I've not, I can talk people into a lot of stuff. People generally don't tell me no, but God does on a regular basis, several times a day. And, uh, but God is a stronghold that we run into when there's trouble around us. And then he is also a stronghold in the sense that he gives us inner strength, which helps us as we face calamities. He is our help when the worst happens. 
Now, you know, if you've lived any length of time, you've had bad stuff happen. We've all lost loved ones. Just about everybody I know has been fired from a job or had their business crash. You know, pastor in Florida for so long, everybody moves to Florida to start over in life. And so when they come, they come with all kinds of baggage. And, you know, if you're the youth pastor or if you were the youth pastor at our church, you would have conversations with essentially parents saying, look, would you help us fix our kids? Because they're really messed up. I'm sure that happens here as well. But it happened there quite a bit. We had to say, well, look, we, we really don't fix kids. It's, you know, we'll work with you and help you do that. But um, but my goodness. What drives you to your knees more than when calamity hits? And that's one of the things that you see happening throughout biblical history. You know, what the whole theme of the book of Judges is that it was a time when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so what God would do, you know, the uh, Israel would be good and faithful and they would love God and uh, there would be this great blessing, and then before long, they would start to turn their back on God. And then God would raise up the, you know, the Ammonites and the Malachites and the Mosquito Bites and all those guys around them. And they would come down and attack Israel. And then Israel would say, you know, perhaps uh, we need to rethink this. And then they would turn their heart back to God, and God would raise up a judge, and they would conquer the bad guys. And that happened a lot. It happened not only during the book of Judges, but it happens throughout all of national Israel, all throughout the Old Testament. And you know what happens in our lives too, doesn't it? What draws you or, or causes you to rethink life than when some disaster happens? Like when your teenage daughter has her first date. My goodness, you look for your gun and you and you go to your knees and say, oh, Lord, please help me. Or when even the worst happens, when you lose a loved one or when you your job crashes or when you're hurt by someone you love. It, it forces you to run to God. And the great thing is that God is there. And he is that, that, that fortress that we run into, and he accepts us. So when the foundations have crumbled, God is there. That even though, you know, he talks about here in verse 3, though, it's waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. Think about the people who've gone through storms. I mean, I... I drove through Hurricane Charlie. I've, I've lived through a number of hurricanes, and they're kind of exciting, really. But they're a real pain when you lose power. Uh, every day I'd, after, I guess, it, it, um, Hurricane Francis, so, you know, my, my job was to go out and find ice every day. So I'd get out and, you know, and I took my daughters to the beach during the middle of the hurricane and said, let's go look and see what the foam is like. And it was all the way up there over their waist on, on A1A, so we didn't go very far. Plus, there was a down power line, so it made me a little scared. I, I hate to have my kids killed on, you know, on my watch anyway. And, uh, but, and think about those people in, out west now who've looked at the – the fires that have just ravaged their communities and some have lost their homes and lost everything that they haven't lost God. 
And so when all those things that you thought were so important are kind of stripped away, those things that maybe you took pride in or comfort in, where else are you going to take comfort? You know, I, I still am planning on going to Mexico, and one of the things I've decided to do is give most everything away. So I've given a lot of stuff to my kids, and, and I've got this little storage unit. Now I'm down to a 10 by 20 storage unit now. And, but I look at things, and, and I'm thinking, you know, it's starting to get real now. Uh, I've got to give away some stuff that, uh, you know, I kind of liked. But, I, it, you know, things are an encumbrance to me now that keep me from serving the Lord. And so I've got to get rid of stuff. And so, you know, I called a guy to see if he would buy any of my stuff. And I don't have anything that's of any monetary value. So now I've got to figure out, can I just dump it on my kids or can I, should I just hop, load up a truck and give it away? But I remember sitting there thinking and looking at stuff pictures and and gifts and things and i think you know for the longest time in my life gathering these things brought me comfort and now i hate to give them up but i also hate to pay uh somebody uh 200 bucks a month just to keep them till i die that just doesn't make sense to me but i remember sitting there thinking this is getting real i can't be putting my comfort my hope, my help in things. It's going to be in the in the the love of God. So it's kind of been a it's in fact it it's uh, it kind of hit me harder maybe because I'm older and uh, I don't really know but it just kind of hit me this last week. Now, when all those things are you know are happening around you. We run to God, and He embraces us and comforts us, accepts us just as we are, and says, I love you. It's going to be okay. Now, in verses 4 through 7, we, it's kind of the second stanza here. And I love verse 4. It's, it's Hebrew poetry, but look how beautiful it is. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's a couple of times in, in the life of Israel where, well, water became very important when it came to defeating enemies. If you've been to Jerusalem, I don't know if you've ever walked through Hezekiah's tunnel. Uh, it's, a, it's about 100 yards long through solid granite. And when the Syrians were attacking Jerusalem, King Hezekiah had them dig this tunnel to take the source of the water from outside the city to inside the city so that they could outlast a siege from the Assyrians who, by the way, were undefeated in five generations. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But, but so look at what, this, what the, a river does. You know, well, first off, I think this is talking about the city of Jerusalem, but it's also talking about the, the, the Temple Mount. And often what you get in poetry and even in prophecy you'll, and parables as well, you'll get 
a physical illustration that leads to a greater spiritual reality. And that's what you're getting here. There's the, you know, the Jordan River, the stream of Siloam that, that brings fresh water to uh, the city of God. And look what water does, you know, or a river is going to do. It's, you know, it kind of brings uh, to a city, you know, it brings hope. It kind of brings a prospect of, of good things happening. It brings traffic, you know. It was, you know, location, location, location. What would Memphis be if the Mississippi River weren't right there? Well, it wouldn't exist, it, it, you know. Um, then it brings fertility. Look at the whole Mississippi Delta. So that's one of the things that rivers do. Look at the Nile River Delta, uh, how fertile it is. And then it, it brings, you know, supply. It brings all kinds of things. That's one of the things that, that physically a river does that would make a city glad. <clears throat> In a spiritual way, what is the river that, uh, that comes to you and me, that comes to the church? Because I think that the city is the church and its believers, the, the, the church uh, <clears throat> militant who is who we are. We are the church still in the battle. And it brings about the rivers is the living waters of Jesus Christ. It brings about his blood, which was shed for you and me. It brings the influence of the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer and leads us in all kinds of ways, illumines our hearts to the truth of Scripture, and works in all kinds of ways that we could never even understand ahead of time. Brings the gospel, where Jesus says, I love you, you can love me, but I love you, period. And I do it because I love you. Not because you deserve it, but because I'm that good. In fact, I'm going to take on what you deserve, and you're going to get what I deserve. That's the gospel. How great is that? Also, it brings about what, what I would call, and theologians call just the means of grace. The way that God pours out His grace on you and me, even when we come to the Lord's table. As Presbyterians, we call it uh, the means of grace, because when it's rightly partaken, by the, by the believer, it nourishes our souls. It, it points us back to God. There's a spiritual work that happens in our souls at that time. And, and Christ is present not in the elements, but there's a spiritual presence uh, in the life of the believers during that time. Now, it's called... The city of God, the church, or the Jerusalem is because he dwells in it. The church is the city of God because he dwells in the church. He founded it and built it. He did that with Jerusalem. He's done that with the church, hasn't he? He deserves all the privileges and the immunities from him. So there's a protection that God gives the city of Israel, Jerusalem, and it's the protection that God gives you and me, his church, his bride. He's the chief ruler 
and governor there. He's the chief ruler and governor in the church. He's the head of the church, and it belongs to him. And so it is established and delivered and given joy. Now, um, when it talks about how um, I have to, I have to uh, work at, I've got new glasses and they still, they don't work right. I, I, I wish I knew a good ophthalmologist. So uh, we're, we're, we're told that nations are in uproar and kingdoms fall and he lifts his voice. Uh, the earth melts. Okay, there are a couple of times in the Old, well, there's numerous times in the Old Testament where we see enemies of Jerusalem or enemies of Israel attacking and God delivers. There's one in Second um, Chronicles where Jehoshaphat, a great name, by the way, you just don't hear guys being named Jehoshaphat much anymore. But uh, so Jehoshaphat was king. He became king, I think, when he was 36. And he had a pretty good reign, and he ended up loving God. And so there were all these guys from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, and they came and they were getting ready to attack Jerusalem. And a, and a bunch of guys came to Jehoshaphat and said, hey, the bad guys are coming our way. Get ready. And so Jehoshaphat prays, and God says, don't worry about those guys. And he tells him where to go. And he says, have your army stand there, but do not move. And they go there and they stand. And God does a work. And the armies start killing each other to where they killed everybody. And, you know, and the guys from Israel got to be standing there scratching their head thinking, what just happened? You know, they're probably looking at 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 each other and point and say, do you see that guy? Do you see what God is doing here? And just marvel at God's deliverance. Now, there's another example that uh, some scholars think that this is pointing to in 2 Kings 8, um, 18 and 19. There was um, five generations of Assyrians. Now, for some reason, I've I memorize the names of the kings, but you know, it's like good names like Tiglath Pleasar, Sargon, Asar, Bonnie Paul. And, but the last one, the, the fifth one was Sennacherib. And so for four generations before Sennacherib, the Assyrians conquered the world. They had no defeats at all. And they came up to Jerusalem, and Sennacherib sent officers ahead of him. And often what they would do is they would go into the city and kidnap some of the children of the leaders of the city, and they would cut their heads off and put their heads on spears. And then they would come and to the city wall, and they would taunt the people in the city, saying, your God will not save you. Your God has not saved all the other people that have come against us, and they're not going to save you. And so Hezekiah was king, and he calls to uh, Isaiah, and, and they pray, and the city repents. And God does a work to where he moves through the, uh, the encampment of Sennacherib's army 
and they start turning on each other. And 185,000 Assyrians kill each other. And Sennacherib flees back home and he is killed by his, I think it was his children, as he was kneeling before a pagan altar. Don't mess with God. There is something so powerful, so devastating when you go against him that it is not worth it. God is so powerful. A third idea here in, in verses 8 through 10 is that God's power is above all earthly powers. Uh, now, the, he uses the word um, Jehovah, and he uses the word Sabaoth, and it means it, it, uh, it's not, uh, I mean, it's a different word than, in lots of the Psalms, he uses Elohim, but here he uses the word uh, uh, Jehovah and Lord Sabaoth, and it has to do with his power. And so when it talks about God making peace, it's not like how we just made a little peace agreement in the Middle East where you go and you make a deal. You know how God makes peace? He drops a bomb. He devastates. So much so that you look at who he is and what he has done and you are forced to say, I give up. There is no sense in fighting against him because we're going to lose. So I give up, Lord. You are Lord. You are all powerful. I give up. I don't understand everything, but you do. I give. And it means that you lay down your arms, you surrender. You acknowledge that, uh, that only God is victorious. And isn't that the battle in our own lives? You know, years ago, they had a pastor at Second Perez. In fact, I joined there. Uh, um, this would have been somewhere in the mid-70s, Lane Adams. And he wrote a book called How Come It's Taken Me So Long to Get Better. And in the book, he talks about how the uh, Christian life is like an island in the Pacific where the way the, the uh, U.S. would attack these guys, they would you know, have all this military bombardment and soften things up. And then ultimately the Marines would come ashore and establish a beachhead. And then uh, once they established a beachhead, and by the way, they were never kicked off an island. Once they got there, they were there. And then they would work to take control of the island. And that's the way God works in us, that we're kind of bombarded with all kinds of things. And I don't know what it is with you, but I know God's working in you. And, you know, for the Apostle Paul, he struck blind on the road to Damascus. And we can talk about free will all we want. I guess Paul was free to walk away, but it wasn't going to walk far. He gave up. And I don't know what's going on in your life or what God did to bring you to where you are today, but I know this, he dropped a bomb. And you said, 
Lord, I, I can't resist you. Um, I give. You are Lord. He'll do that with your loved ones. He'll do that in all kinds of ways with people that are very, very loved by him. And this is because God is God. And in the end, his power and his holiness are exalted and no one can fight against him. So when it says in this passage, be still and know that I am God, God's not saying, look, chill, take a break, you know, go play 18 holes today, you know, get a little rest and relaxation. No, he's not saying that. It's almost like he's saying, sit down, shut up. I'm in charge. You, you know, I really don't care a whole lot about what your opinion is, uh, but I'm the one with power here. I'm the one who spoke a creation into existence. You know, I love those passages in Job where he, where God finally speaks and he starts to question Job's friends. And he says, you know, where were you, you know, when I carved out the ocean? Where were you when I did all these kinds of things? And they had to sit there in silence because they weren't anywhere. They, they didn't even understand how it could happen, but they thought they were so great but they weren't. So God tells us to be still before him and know that he is God. Now, <clears throat> then at the end in verse 11, you know, he says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The Lord, the God of Jacob is our fortress. He's talking about how he is this Lord Almighty, that he is Jehovah Sabaoth. And the host, they speak of, refers to the armies of the Lord. I, I, I used this example a few weeks ago when uh, Elisha was in Dothan and he was being pursued by, uh, what was the name of those guys? Uh, but the armies of Ben-Hadad, and they, they had the home surrounded. And so uh, Elisha's servant is panicking. This is in 2 Kings 6.16. So all these, these, this servant is panicking, and he's, you know, he's screaming at Elisha, you know, come on, what, you know, how come you're not upset by this? And, and Elisha kind of just says, all right, let's pray. And he prays, Lord, would you open the eyes of this servant? And then he tells the servant to go outside. And he walks out the door and he looks around the hills surrounding Dothan. And now he sees the armies of the bad guys, but he sees the army of the Lord. Massive numbers in power. And the servant comes back into the house where Elisha is. And I think this is a very vernacular Hebrew translation where he says, perhaps I spoke a little hastily. <laughs> but he does say, you know, those who are with us are greaters, greater than those who are with them. So when you start thinking about your options in life, 
Who's greater than God? Nobody. And then secondly, you know, he says that I am the God of Jacob. Now, that is a weird thing because you talk about the most dysfunctional family in the history of the world is Jacob's family. I mean, my goodness, I, I still don't understand it all. And I mean, I know he has the ability to mess things up because I sure can. But boy, Jacob really did. But you know what? Often God's saying, I'm the God of Jacob. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, of Jacob, and Isaac. I mean, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, as he lists the patriarchs, and he's pointing to his history. And even though as dysfunctional and as sinful as Jacob was, Jacob essentially, at the end of his life, he was trusting God. It's a great picture. God did not quit on Jacob. And he won't quit on you or me. We give him lots of reasons to do that, but he doesn't do that. And we can take great hope in that. Where Jacob was the, the third patriarch and he was about the worst one there was. You would never pick him to be on your team unless you were trying to set up a pawn shop or something like that. He, he was just a rascal. And God loved him and worked in him. So I don't know about you guys. I read this psalm. It really it gives me hope. I can really take heart in what God has done. It is, a, you know, it is very encouraging to me. And I love this idea that you know, we can run into the city of God, be embraced by our loving Father who has... Uh, made happy the you know the streams of the city of God. Man, what a beautiful, beautiful picture that is. So let me just stop right here and um, let me encourage everybody. The uh, offering plates are in the back. God has given us so much, and we can respond to Him as you leave with giving an offering to. Uh, his work at this church today. Let me pray, and then let's stand and sing hymn 641, America the Beautiful. Father, how we thank you that uh, you are such a great and powerful God. You are Lord Sabaoth. Minister to us again and again this week. Help us to delight in you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Now receive God's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace both now and in the life to come. Amen.